Hey, welcome back to the Conservation Conversation, Episode 5. Very excited to be here with everybody again. And this week we have a, an amazing show. We're going to talk about the Amazon, the fact that it's on fire, what's happening and what it means. And we're going to speak to somebody that's in Brazil, that's on the ground, that can give us a little bit more information. So here we go. It's our world. Let's talk about it. Guys, thanks for being back here. It's very excited today. We have Richard Rasmussen from Brazil, and he was in a documentary called River Below about the struggle of survival for the pink dolphin. Uh, he's a biologist, he's a TV presenter, and he has now uh, been elected by Bolsonaro to become uh, the um, ecotourism ambassador. So it's going to be very interesting to be able to get a perspective on what's happening out there. You know, we're all hearing so many different stories. So it would be great to finally, you know, we're going to finally get to talk to somebody there. And the conservation conversation is very happy because, you know, this is the beauty of it. We can Skype around the world and we can bring topics that affect all of us into one stream together. Hey, Colleen. Hey, oh, I'm glad I'm glad you're able to make it on this show today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, like I said, to talk to. Uh, hey, Coralie. Coralie has been such an amazing activist and she's always um just has a huge heart and always helping everybody so it's good to see you on the show Corley. and guys don't forget today when richard is on with me we can interact you know uh, put your questions on the screen you have a chance to talk to him directly and he might not be able to read them i don't know if he's going to be watching the, the the podcast or not but um he might just be skyping in so i will read your questions out loud and he doesn't know this yet, but I've learned a little bit of Portuguese <laughs> uh, to try to ask him a question. So I might be butchering it, but it's worth a try. Um, I have a more complicated question. Somebody recorded for me. We'll do that. So, uh, but I just wanted to, even before we start talking about the Amazon, I just wanted to talk about the week coming up. So uh, one of the very first things I wanted to mention <clears throat> is I'm very excited. On next week's show, we're going to have our first giveaway and I can't wait. Hey, Jeremy. Jeremy is an awesome uh, clean water activist down in Florida. Um, you know, yeah, just uh, an unstoppable force. So it's good to see you on here, man. Um, and a good friend. So <clears throat> what we're, we're doing next week is we're doing a giveaway. And I'm not going to give you all the details yet. But if you would like to be part of the giveaway, just simply go to my YouTube channel, subscribe and click the bell icon so that you get any kind of alerts from me and I will update you there. Uh, so now I think, um, let's see now, if I can get to, let's show you guys exactly how to do that with me. So, uh, you know, my website is ericycrown.com. <laughs> so yeah. Um, all right. So here's the website. If you guys go to ericycrown.com and you just scroll down to the bottom, you're going to see a couple icons. And uh, if you click the YouTube icon, it'll just take you directly to my YouTube channel. So uh, that's a great way to go there. And then you can go ahead and just subscribe. And uh, once you do that, you'll automatically be entered into um, the giveaway for next week's podcast. So yeah, again, very excited. Cannot wait to share that with you guys. Um, so yeah, please go ahead. And you know, the, the main reason is that as much as I do enjoy Facebook and the interaction, 
we also have a, a way better signal on YouTube. And the thing is, is sometimes some of your comments get held up or get slowed down uh, because of the connection and the compressors and Facebook. So my goal is to move the show as much as we can over to YouTube so that everyone's comments and everyone's voice is heard at all times. So what we're going to do now is, let's see. Okay. I hear some music. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was my uh, little demo reel playing there. Okay. So um, what I wanted to talk about today is we're, you know, we are going to talk about the Amazon. And like I said, um, please go to my YouTube channel. Please subscribe. And you'll automatically be part of our giveaway on the next episode. Uh, so very, very excited. And I, we're going to start doing giveaways every week. I'm, very, I'm, I'm really excited. We have a lot of companies coming in, a lot of people that want to support this conversation. So I'm really excited to be part of it with everybody. Hey, Camilla. Hey, Heather. And uh, Heather, another amazing clean water activist working up in the Pacific Northwest right now on a couple interesting projects um, we've been talking about. So um, anyway, I wanted to let you guys know that. Now, when you go to my YouTube channel, do me a favor, subscribe, but um, feel free to click on this podcast and leave a, a comment uh, with an emoji, whether you would like to see uh, the next episode be on animals, environment, water, fire, whatever element. Find something fun and have a good time with it. <laughs> All right. Um, now, the, one other thing I wanted to mention, Saturday, it's not the conservation conversation, but Saturday, I'm going to be going down to La Jolla to interfere in public meddling with seals and sea lions, which uh, the sea lions are endangered. And what they do is they, they come up and they rest in this area and there's no physical barrier. So a lot of volunteers have done this before. A lot of NGOs have done this. A lot of companies have done this. And it's, you know, and I'm going to go out there. So if you're in town and you want to meet me in La Jolla, come on down and help me protect the babies. Uh, if you're not in town, please tune in. I'm going to be doing some live information about the subject and ways that you can help uh, with like local groups that are out there trying to fight this. Um, you know, I, I think if we can bring some attention back to it, maybe we can make a change in our laws somehow. So that's that's always a possibility. We want to look into that. So anyway, join me Saturday. I'm going down. I'll be there. Um, if you don't like me, come on out and protest me, do whatever. But uh, that's where I'll be. I will be in La Jolla Saturday and I'll be doing a live podcast so we can talk about, um, I'll be doing a live video here so we can talk about what's happening. So anyway, I just wanted to get you guys updated. That's the week ahead. There's so much happening now. Um, one last thing I want to mention, I'm working on a project about the, uh, about biopiracy and, uh, I'm going to be releasing information this week on it. So make sure to stay with my Facebook, make sure to stay with my YouTube so that you can find out about the project. And I'm going to be working on some fundraising starting next week. So anyway, um, I'm very excited to share it with you guys. I can't wait. So uh, now to the Amazon. Now, you know, I got to, I was very lucky. I got to go to the Amazon in 2017. Um, and when I was in Peru, not where the fires are happening in Brazil, but I was in Peru and I was very um, lucky to go to the Amazon jungle and see it. But the thing is when I got to the Amazon, I found that it was in way more trouble than I had ever imagined. And I'm gonna play a quick video for you guys. It's about two to three minutes long. And it is, 
what we found in Peru on the Amazon, and, and the Amazon has so many battles to face, and the fires have brought our attention back to it. But I just wanted to play a quick video for you guys to show you some of um, what we found in the disappearing Amazon. And now the fires themselves are now creating another issue. And, you know, with, with the hurricanes, um, and, you know, my heart goes out to everybody uh, that was affected by those, and that was a lot of people. Um, there's been a lot going on this week environmentally. So anyway, it's it's been a very um, difficult week. And, you know, but anyway, let's get back to the Amazon. I'm just gonna play this quick video and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the Amazon jungle. As a conservationist, the Amazon represents one of the greatest biodiversity hotspots on Earth. And also for the sheer size of it, like the Amazon is an unbelievably large river. From here, it goes down three and a half thousand kilometers before it reaches the sea. But it's also under a lot of threats. And I've come here to try and understand what is happening to the Amazon. But one of the things, you, you come here there's no one working on it yet. There's, we are the only conservationists here. But it does feel like you're trying to stop the tide coming in. So many people living on this river now. The sheer number of boats we see going up and down every day. And the only thing that people have here to trade, or the only thing they are trading, is the local resources. Wildlife, be it for food or pets, timber, logs, construction and houses and what have you. That's it. Those are things I've got to trade here and there's tons of people living in this jungle. For me personally, you know, I, I want to contribute in a positive way and there's no doubt the Amazon is under enormous threat right now and it almost feels like no one's doing anything about it. The government here has virtually zero environmental laws and, and certainly close to zero enforcement. You know, down in Rakenya in the market there, openly selling paiche, which is endangered. And, and it's illegal to sell it there. Um, and there's half a dozen vendors selling it every day. There's a black caiman for sale. There's little wee endangered animals out of the jungle that are for sale. Amazonia for sale. Sort of disappearing in front of your eyes. And, you know, I hate, I hate to see what's happening here. And you know, maybe I'm being overly ambitious to think that I can contribute in some way, but I'll give it a crack. It is worth saving, eh? Definitely worth saving, but under threat. Biggest threat really is too many people. We have, we have come now 150 kilometers from Rakenya, which is the nearest city. It's still full of people. People a kilometer down there. Little wee illegal huts on the side of the river. Lots of evidence of logging, lots of evidence of places where boats pull in and people go up and down. This place is full of people taking logs, taking wildlife, and gradually destroying the place. And too many people. We're sort of going it alone. We'll probably uncover some stuff, and if we can get some people arrested, that'd be great. If we can, you know, catch some people in the act and expose what they're doing, that's great.
All right. Well, there we go. That is just a small example of what we found down there. Um, and now, you know, I, I, I want everybody to just imagine we all have a place that we like to go. It's a place in nature. It's a place where you go and you can sort of see the breeze. You can feel the sound of everything around you. It's a place where you and nature stand still together and move together. And all of us have that. It's a very important place uh, for everyone. So <clears throat> what I wanted to do is start today with a quote by Henry David Thoreau. Uh, and I would like for you to imagine that place as, as I read this quote, because I think it applies here. Sorry, this the writing might be teeny there. <laughs> um, and just think about the place that you love. And Henry David Thoreau, back in the 1800s, said, if a man walks in the woods for love of them, Half of each day, he is in danger of being regarded as a loafer. But if he spends his whole day as a speculator, shearing off those woods and making the earth bald before her time, he's esteemed as an industrious and enterprising citizen. So uh, that is something to consider, that even in the 1800s, there was... Uh, always been the the balance, and we talk about this a lot on conservation conversation. There is natural resource, there is uh, industry, and those two are at odds almost exclusively always. I trying hard hard to think of a, an example where they're not at odds. So you have them at odds, and the trick is is we are the sliding scale of acceptance that allows the exploitation of these resources, which is why it's so important we're having this conversation today. It's why it's so important we have built this community. And it is a community. You know, it's very amazing. I see a lot of the same people coming into the show. I see a lot of people uh, offering links. So we are developing a very great online community here where we have open discussion. I can talk about all kinds of exciting things. So uh, in about 15 minutes, we hopefully will be talking to Richard. Um, so a few things about the Amazon that I think that we, sh we should talk about first. Um, now, you know, the, when I was in Brazil, they had recently made it legal to kill environmentalists. And this has to do, excuse me, with the fact that it, uh, there was a lot of uh, native and indigenous people that were um, fighting a lot of the oil. And many of them were shot during the... Um, during this, and what happened was, um, they ended up, uh, uh, you know, ended up changing the laws. So they did not prosecute the government or any of the uh, uh, troops involved. So, uh, you know, that's something to consider, and and you have to think about this right now. Uh, as the Amazon burns down at a, as I was reading, a football field and a half or so per minute, per minute. Um, you have to imagine, you know, this is, the, this is the biggest biodiversity place there is. There's over 3 million different species of plants. Uh, one in 10 of all species in the world live in the Amazon. So just imagine that. One in 10 of all species in the entire world live in the Amazon. Um, and they've reported 85,000 fires so far. Now, it's interesting. Humans have been in the Amazon for about 13,000 years, according to scientists. So there has been this balance for a long time. Um, and what we're finding now is that, you know, that this balance is tipping because of the most recent 
policies. So, oh no, Rhonda says, cannot play video. Okay. Um, okay, Rhonda, you know what? I'm going to put a link for that video in after we're done so you can go back and, and check it out. Um, but what I was going to say is, is, you know, aside from the danger of, uh, of, of being a conservationist in Peru, it's very dangerous in Brazil. Uh, Brazil has some of the largest amounts of uh, murders. It's the deadliest country for environmentalists. Uh, there was 57 killed in 2017, then over 165 in 2018. And in 2019, a bunch of miners and I believe gold prospectors went and ended up murdering an indigenous elder in their quest for it. And it's all legal. Um, so we have kind of an issue where it's very dangerous. In, and if you think of an environmentalist in America, you think of you know, somebody um, who's doing their best with the time that they have to help it. When you think of an environmentalist in the Amazon, you have to understand that the majority of them are indigenous or they are people that live with the land, on the land. Uh, when you're in the river, it changes everything. Hey, Aileen, Aileen is a friend from Brazil. And uh, Aileen is also uh, a big activist and an environmentalist, so it's awesome to have her on the show. And Aileen, if, if you hear us talking about anything, please feel free to, um, you know, to, to help us understand a little bit more because the world's looking at Brazil and we're all very concerned and worried about what we're seeing. And we just, you know, we, we need to understand more. And, and the, the problem is, is that all the different articles say different things, right? So you get different um, perspectives, per se, depending on what you read. And that's why today it's fantastic. Uh, we have Aileen here, we're gonna have Richard on soon, and we're gonna be able to talk about all the aspects. And I, I really encourage everybody to ask as many questions as possible. I have questions for Richard. We all wanna know what's happening on with more detail. you know. Um, but again, like I said, you've gotta remember that an environmentalist in the Amazon are people that the government's maybe not official, well, officially in Brazil, um, and I don't know 100%, uh, I mean, officially in Peru, but I'm not sure about in Brazil, but it's, it's a, and it's perhaps it's an unintended consequence of, again, that balance between industry, industry, and nature, and us as that sliding scale of morality and acceptability that says what they're allowed to do with our world. You know, they're not natural resources. Uh, you know, we're taught to think a natural resource means gold. And, oh, hey, Vicky, another awesome activist. So, you know, when you think of natural resource, you think of gold and you think of silver and you think of, you know, all these things that you hear of. Um, but there are natural resources, not companies natural resources to grab and then sell back to us last week we talked about bottled water where there's this sort of crazy thing that we have in our modern world where they're allowed to just withdraw as much water as they want bottle it in plastic that ends up not only destroying the environment but creates microplastics and has been linked a lot of these bottles have been linked to breast cancer and other forms of cancer with the chemicals that are in these bottles. So, you know, there's untold dangers. And just now with us as a community, us as activists, uh, us having social media to try to make a difference, we have the ability now 
to really uh, hold them to task and to, and to look at what's happening out there. So, you know, I just, it's, it's um, you know, we have a lot more questions than we have answers as environmentalists, as conservationists, as concerned parents, uh, just pretty much as, you know, and anybody, I mean, all of our health has been affected in one way or another by what's happening here. And uh, hey, Linda, Linda's another uh, great activist. I always see Linda on the show. And uh, good to see you here today, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we're going to be talking to uh, Richard Rasmussen in Brazil here soon, probably hopefully in about eight or 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, I encourage any questions you guys have about what's happening in Brazil, we can ask Richard. And again, Richard is, is a very uh, well-known activist in, um, in Brazil. And he's also now recently been appointed as the ecotourism ambassador for Bolsonaro's cabinet. So uh, in the midst of all this controversy, we have a wonderful person to speak to. And um, hey, Tanya. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Um, and guys, Tanya is, is uh, working on exposing different aspects of animal rights and conservation uh, in her land, too. And that, that's what's amazing. So, Tanya, we have to have you on a future, a future episode so you can take us uh, by Skype into uh, some, some of the activism that's going on, because that's what's amazing is everywhere around the world, you know, concerned citizens have given up on politicians. We've given up on everything and said, you know what, we need to make our voices heard. So how do we do it? We don't know too much. Uh, you know, we just know that we can vote with our wallets, right? Like what you buy tells a company what they can do. Who you vote for tells politicians what they can get away with and what's acceptable. And again, all of that is how we act as the sliding scale of morality, protecting our Mother Earth, our environment, because if we don't have an environment, we're not going to colonize Mars. We're not moving there. It's not that's not that's not how we should be thinking. Oh, gosh, we use this up. What else do we have? That is just it's crazy. And, and it's the way they want us to think, because we're supposed to think, um, you know, if you think of the, the word consumer, you know, the world is, is divided right into um, businesses and consumers and you know, we, we are 99.9%. .9%. They are 0.01%. We have the power. Uh, we, based on what we buy, dictate what they sell. Um, so I think that, um, you know, again, we, we have to remember that we have the power. And a lot of times in conservation, we feel defeated because the news you get is always bad news. We talked in a previous podcast about that that's intentional. Uh, and it's called the shock doctrine. And the idea is to just overwhelm you with sadness so that you just shut off. Um, and that's what's amazing about this, this community right here. Hey, Carrie, especially Carrie. Carrie is doing a lot of water activism. And, um, you know, she's, she's, she's amazing with that too. And, and yeah, I, it's great to see everybody here because everyone has said, I don't, it doesn't have to be that way, you know? So anyway, this is amazing. Um, and you know what? The world is saying that about the Amazon. So what's happening in the Amazon is what's happening in Florida's water. It's what's happening in Flint, Michigan. It's what's happening in everywhere. It's what's happening in what we saw in Asia. It's what's happening around the world where those in power tend to have a difficult job, I think, trying to balance what we as humans need and what businesses as businesses need. 
None of that nonsense of Citizens United where the business is a person. That's just that's just crazy talk. Like you can't. I mean, I it's still. I'm just still in shock about that one. There's no words. If I were to say that to somebody, they would just think I was, you know, probably um, an idiot. <laughs> but it's not a business. It's a person. No, wait. But side note, guys, if you have not seen the documentary, The Corporation, check it out. What they did is they took the idea of Citizens United. They took the concept that a business is a person and they took the way businesses run and they ran it by psychologists and all these other experts to determine what kind of personality, if it's a person, what kind of personality does a corporation have? What kind of a citizen is it, right? Anyway, great documentary, very funny. I'm not gonna ruin the end of it. Great, great, um, great documentary. Uh, okay, well, hey, if you're not gonna watch the movie, I'll just tell you right now, they determined that it's a schizophrenic. <laughs> so there we are. Um, but again, you know, with social media, we are the majority. We have to remember that we're the majority. There are businesses, there are politicians. They are going to act, they, they live in their own sphere and they're gonna act in their own sphere unless we demand that they act in our sphere. Now, another interesting point of that, in Vietnam, when I was there and there were people throwing rocks at the police and the police were firing at us, they were, you know, we were dodging bullets. The guy next to me got hit by a rubber bullet, went down. Um, they tried to confiscate my phone, they tried to arrest me. The journalism, I found out it was the sixth most dangerous country in the world for journalists, uh, which I didn't know <laughs> at the time. So I tried to email out video and it was all blocked. But what happened was they changed according to the people's will. And in Hong Kong, because of all the protests, they have changed what they're doing. So we have to remember it's difficult, and especially here in America, Guys, it's, it's way more difficult for us. We have stronger lobbies probably than anywhere. Um, and, you know, we have maybe a little bit more of a battle. But if in Vietnam and in China, they're willing to listen to their people's protests about natural resources and about laws and rights, then I certainly feel that we should be able to do the same thing in our country. I don't, I don't think that that's a, a big thing to ask. So remember... You have power. Your voice has power. I'm sorry. I know I might repeat that over and over, but I think it's something that's very, very important to remember always. Um, okay, let's see. I'm just going to come over here. Okay. Make sure my phone is on for in a bit. Um, so, you know, and another thing that I wanted to mention about Brazil is, you know, with these fires, we have to remember that farmers in, in Brazil always use fires to clear land. It's, it's a very old, old thing. Now, there's a couple things we'll talk to Richard about, guys. There's, you see a lot of memes going around, a lot of things going around on Facebook that say, if you eat meat, you're contributing to the fires, and that is because Brazilian beef is a major agribusiness. Uh, they say, and then the meat eaters say, well, if you eat soy, you're contributing to the fires. Interesting side note on that, 90% of the soy goes to the agribusiness. It goes to the meat, it feeds the beef. Um, the other aspect of why soy is so big right now is with the U.S.-China escalating trade wars, China is now buying their soy from Brazil, not from America. So it's hurting our soy farmers, but it's also bumping up the soy production over there, which is creating this massive need for these guys to go burn all this land and try to do this. And, you know, it's a difficult thing to talk about because 
these farmers are not rich people. Um, they're people that are trying to survive. And again, how do we find that balance between survival and in the short term and survival in the long term environmentally? So that's just something I wanted to, uh, to kind of bring up about that. Now, one other thing about the Amazon while we're waiting for Richard to give us a call is, you know, a lot of times it's, it's um, considered... Uh, it's, it's considered the lungs of the world, but I would like to bring up that the ocean is actually the lungs of the world. Um, it's a bit of a misnomer. Amazon produces, I believe, 20% of oxygen from photosynthesis in the forest, but it only produces 6 to 10% of oxygen in the world. Uh, not that it's not important that these fires are happening. That's I just wanted to say, though, it's kind of an interesting misnomer. The lungs are our oceans, so we have to remember as we pollute the lungs, uh, we, our lungs as humans will eventually become polluted just like we are doing to the animals right now. Um, so, and another thing is just to kind of give everybody some background on what's happening in Brazil. When recently the government changed over, you know, the Amazon's always been protected and it, 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 it's had a lot of battles and and. It's, I mean, it's not always been very well protected, but the indigenous have fought for a long time to keep it protected. Now, when uh, Bolsonaro took office, um, he's also backed by one of the biggest agricultural lobbies, and he campaigned on the promise to open the rainforest to more farming, logging, and mining. And um, he said that IBAMA, which is the forest regulation that sort of stops deforestation and everything, uh, was... Um, no longer going to continue all their fines for people. And he says, I will not allow Obama to go around issuing fines left and right. So he didn't directly say go burn land, but he did say, you know, and, and, and again, it's, you know, um, he would say that he was trying to stimulate their economy. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, at the moment, I know there's a lot of international backlash. I saw H&M is not buying from them. Uh, you know, a lot of people are very, very concerned. And, um, you know, the other thing that I, I saw that was very interesting is that the rainforest is an extra danger because it's not equipped to handle fires. Uh, it doesn't know fire. It just burns. So um, now Linda says, let's see. BlackRock is funding them as well. So that's interesting. Linda, if you could put up any uh, links for us, I would love that. Um, I wasn't aware of that, and I would love to learn more about that. Um, I think that that is, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing is, in our new world, it's an international world. And they say, you know, think, um, think globally, act locally. You know, what we do makes a big difference. But we do have to think globally. And there is global everything now. There's global corporations, there's multi-corporations, multi there's all these different groups, and everybody has a piece of it. You know, what comes from the Amazon, we talked about this before, is not paper, it's not your Dixie cups, you know, it's your really nice wooden furniture. Uh, it's people's homes all around the Amazon. Look, when I was in Peru, I saw illegal logging, and what they do is, and you saw it, some of it in the video, they put on these giant, they bring all the logs together, they tie them together, and they just ride them like a raft down the river until they can get them to a sawmill. Once you get into a sawmill, the law no longer applies in the sense of deforestation. So as long as they can cut down the trees, bring them down the river on the raft logs, and who's to say if they have permits or not, there is zero enforcement. 
zero enforcement. Uh, we mount, we, we, we jumped on a raft log and the guys were very nice to us, but they were like, whoa, uh, they're like, yeah, no, we're, of course we're legal. We have permits, but they don't have any permits and this and that. So, um, you know, it's a loophole. It's a big loophole. And you find that also each country has a level of deforestation they're allowed to do. In Peru, you're allowed to take out 25,000 truckloads of woods before it's considered deforestation. Dump trucks, dump trucks, 25,000 dump trucks. Then it becomes deforestation. So that, uh, you know, that, that's really crazy. So what happens is we found that monocrops and monocultures are part of the destruction of the Amazon. What they'll do is they burn the land and then they grow their monoculture or their monocrop. And if you guys are familiar with any monocrops, please let me know, uh, jump in the conversation. Let's talk about this because it's actually, I think, a worldwide problem too. But what happens is they get these monocrops, then they burn the land, they clear the land, they grow cacao, for example. Cacao, the cacao place I went to, when it's done, it's done. And then they move on and they burn more land and that land is just left as scarred earth. So, you know, those of us, like myself, um, I think of the Amazon in, in a health perspective. It's been sold to us in many ways that way. There's cacao, there's acai, there is all forms of uh, superfoods, right? We always say Amazon superfoods. So, but remember that some of them have very dubious styles of farming. So, you know, half these guys that are burning down the land right now in Brazil are going to do monoculture. So they are going to uh, come in and they are going to um, basically clear the land, grow one, one crop and move on. And you're just going to left with burnt earth. So, you know, we're reaching at a time and I've talked to a lot of environmentalists about this, but we're reaching a time where we all need to rethink agriculture. Um, rethink agriculture. I don't know if you guys have ever read this book. Um, they call me Ishmael, which is this amazing book where the history of humanity is told through the eyes of a gorilla that's in captivity that has seen life uh, for a very long time. And one thing that he blames the way things are going now, and this is going to sound weird to everybody probably, is agriculture. Um, agriculture is a big problem because we learn to tame the land, but then we don't, we haven't thought, you know, our, our previous farmers, they're very wise about it. You know, they would use things naturally to grow naturally. And it was a, a very symbiotic relationship. You know, people lived off the land and the land prospered because the people took good care of it. Um, and we gave that power around the fifties or so to corporations and said, you make our food. We're, you know, we're, we're tired of growing food. We're tired of having farms and, um, you know, you guys make our food for us. And at that moment we lost a lot. And as we are seeing the results of that now, it's only 70 years past that time, 60 to 80 years, maybe since plastic really took over since corporations, you know, I mean, craft, should not be considered a food company. It's a chemical company, you know. Um, now, not that there's anything wrong with it, you know. I know a lot of people love a good mac and cheese, but I'm just saying um, it's something to consider because we need to reconsider how we're going to feed the world. We have this overpopulation issue, and it's spoken about a lot. I mean, when we were in Peru, we couldn't stop anywhere 
where there was no longer a, oh, thank you, Linda. Linda put up some really good links, everybody, about what's happening with BlackRock. Um, Linda, thank you. I can't wait to read those. And thank you for adding those for us. Um, I'm very interested. Uh, the Intercept is for sure one of my absolute favorite uh, places to get information. Personally, I love The Intercept. Um, I think they, uh, they, they really are on it. So anyway, thank, thank you, Linda. Uh, I want to check it out. Now, Molly says, plant gardens in your yards. Guys, this is amazing. I was just talking to a really good friend of mine earlier who said, you know, you should go check out how people can use their front yards in a better way. And that is between planting native plants so you don't waste a bunch of water trying to grow grass that's unnatural. And the second idea is to plant gardens in your yards. And I know that there are local laws in certain areas against that. So we're going to look into that. Thank you, Molly. I think that's a great idea. And it's true, guys. I, I lived in Hollywood. I lived one block off Hollywood Boulevard in this really old rundown house. And even there, I ended up going out and just digging up all the land and trying to till it, till the earth. Um, didn't quite work out the way I'd hoped it would, but I grew my own vegetables for a little bit. And it was amazing. There's nothing at all like having your own herbs or getting your own strawberries that you grow. You know, you know what goes in them. It's just pure water. So with the amount of pollution, the amount of health issues, the amount of destruction going on, the amount of, of chemicals in, in our stuff that they don't even have to disclose to us. If you have the option to plant anything in your yard or to build a small garden and you've always ever wanted to or thought about it, do it. You should do it. And, and please let us know. I would love to know for this future upcoming episode. Send me, send me some messages. Let me know. Let me see your gardens. Let's, let's talk about how you find solutions to health. So, okay, guys, well, it is 2.40. I know we started late today. Uh, at the moment, I don't know if, um, if Richard is able to contact us. Uh, it's hard to say. Now, Richard left to go into the woods. Not the woods. It was a terrible, <laughs> a stupid thing to say. He left to go down the river and into the forest, the rainforest, um, on Friday. And he had actually invited me to go with him. I was not able to go down there. Although I am planning on a project down in the Amazon and shooting that next month. But Richard was down there. Now, guys, when you're on the Amazon, anything can happen. From we, <laughs> we had our prop just fly off and we were dead in the water uh, in the middle of the river. Um, and it's not like there's a store anywhere nearby. You just go to the riverbank and you hope there's a village. And villages in the Amazon are very interesting. They're built and designed along the river. So um, it is super cool. You get in there, you get to the river and you see this little trail and what is that? And you walk up the trail and there's usually one cement sidewalk and a bunch of houses on the side and everybody works together to do what they need and grow what they need and have what they need. And it's really, it's quite amazing because, you know, here in our country and in most of the world, we've lost the idea of how to have a small community. Um, but in the Amazon, it's hard to talk about a, a giant community because there's just mostly a lots and lots of small communities. And yes, Linda, giant anacondas. <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully Richard did not get caught by any anacondas. But, um, you know, Richard, I hope uh, all is going well for you. 
Um, and like I said, you know, he was guys, he was getting back just today on Sunday. So uh, it's very possible he wasn't able to make it in. Uh, I do apologize. And I know that if he is able to make it in, he's going to call us. But until we hear from him, let's talk some more. So what I, so uh, yes, um, now what I was really interested here, Linda says, uh, try to do it in pots and stink at it. <laughs> Linda, what do you grow? What's, what's something, that you, what do you guys like to grow? Does anybody out there have a green thumb? Um, and is there anything that's very grower friendly? I, I have problems with it sometimes. I, I don't know if I always have a green thumb. Um, and yeah, Camilla, I agree. Um, every community is everything. It really is. Um, you know, that was one thing that was amazing. Uh, there was a place we pulled into called Iberia and Iberia was by a place called Anaconda Lake in Peru. And Iberia was a town of about 40 people and they were all poachers. And our goal was to go in and try to go undercover a little bit and understand what's happening. And what we found was not the bad guys we had maybe thought we were going to run into. What we found was a very small village of people that were wonderful people. Uh, they're people that had grown up understanding that they can take from the Amazon because it's it's vast and they don't know how a lot of it's gone away. Um, and, you know, but they all work together and they didn't even have power. So um, when we got there, the police immediately confiscated our passports, which was weird. There was police in a town of 25 people and we had to sleep in the barracks. Uh, but what they did at night was they turned on a generator and they played a TV and all the kids from the village came in and watched TV. And it was amazing. Um, yeah, so amazing. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, that's that's what I mean. You know, we all... This is the thing as a community, if you think of a community that this guy grows the corn and this guy makes the bread and, you know, um, this guy grows the watermelon. If you think about what we have here in the conservation conversation, we have the same community. We have somebody that knows about health. We have somebody that knows about biology. We have we have people. Uh, Colleen Marie's a naturalist. You know, we're very lucky to have everybody in our conversation. Camilla has a lot of information on holistic healing. Um, Vicky has a lot to do with activism and knows. And I know that um, uh, Debbie. Uh, yes, there's Debbie. You live in a condo. I'm not sure who she's talking to. But yes, um, houseplants, ornaments, veggies, I stink it. <laughs> oh, so Coralie, I know Coralie is uh, always had a, a great tie with nature. And Coralie says, I grow 16 herbs, large amounts of green tomatoes, lettuce, carrots, radish, beets, everything. Oh my God, it sounds so good. Coralie, I bet you have the most amazing salads. Um, Molly says... I will not have our movement go Hollywood. No, Eric. Uh, Debbie. Okay. Yeah, no, Debbie. I don't live in a condo. <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, I definitely do not live in a condo. Uh, no, you're right. And I am not anyone's voice. The idea of the show is that we are all one voice. We can all get together. So I actually sublet. Uh, I live in one room in an apartment that I sublet because... I don't actually, I was in Los Angeles, I was based here, and then I gave up my apartment to go travel with Earthrace for two years. 
Um, and as a result, I never really figured if I would stay back in Los Angeles or not. Then I started traveling to different areas to follow different stories. Um, so yeah, so I am in LA right now, but uh, I don't have roots here. Um, I'm just here temporarily and um, back out into the field very soon. Uh, so, and very excited, a few new projects coming up. You know, and one, one thing like on my personal journey um, is, oh, I don't have a garden anymore, Debbie. <laughs> this is back when I lived in Hollywood. I lived in a small, um, it was like a shared room in a party house. I paid $200 a month and it was an old dilapidated house, but in the back they had a little yard. So that's where I grew my garden. I don't have one now, unfortunately. Um, it's one thing I miss and I am looking forward to setting up some roots one day where I can grow a garden again. But um, as Debbie was saying, like, you know, about Hollywood and all these things, um, you know, I think that it, you know, for me, I spent some time working with an NGO and a few NGOs, and I never was able to get the full satisfaction of what I was hoping to do as an activist. Uh, now I just simply try to do activism through my productions. Um, when you're at my house, you are noodles ramen. <laughs> I did. I ate a lot of noodles at uh, Debbie's house. Um, yeah, and Debbie is, by the way, guys, uh, for people that don't know, Debbie is an incredible activist down in Florida, and she studies a lot of aspects of the dangers that come from um, big agriculture, big sugar. Uh, she introduced me to so many aspects of what was happening down there. And, um, and that's why Florida is such a huge topic. And uh, it's amazing that there are people like Debbie down there and there are other activists that are all out in the front line fighting. And I always say this, Florida has some of the best activists that I have ever met around the world. Uh, the most passionate people I have ever met. Um, and I, I hope somebody in California ch changes my mind, but I'm gonna say we don't have a very strong activist culture here. We do have a good vegan culture and we do have a good animal liberation culture. Um, but as far as the ocean goes, there's nobody picking up nets. Um, I know people go try to help the seals and sea lions, but uh, California, it kind of everybody thinks everyone else will deal with it. Whereas in Florida, I found um, everybody to have their finger on the pulse of what their governments are doing, what their politicians are doing, what their local leaders are doing, what their journalists are doing. And they're extremely conscious. And I think they're a hope spot for activism. I really do. Because if, if more communities were pulled together and determined to change the future, like I saw in Florida, I feel like we would have a stronger voice as environmentalists all around the country and all around the world. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, when I went to Florida, I was focusing on pollution and cancer um, because, you know, um, my personal life, I have cancer from chances are environmental reasons, not genetic reasons. And they would never admit that to me. So I wanted to investigate the environment as best I could and find out why people have accelerated cancer rates. Um, and then, you know, what I found was that um, all you did was drink wine and eat noodles, ramen. That is true. <laughs> it is very true, yes. Um, I was at Debbie's, I think for, I wanna say two or three days, uh, prepping up for everything. So, um, but Debbie, I'm very excited. I am excited. 
uh, for you to see the documentary. Um, it's got a lot of great stuff in it. We got a lot of good work done afterwards. And, you know, again, the idea was to try to understand how the pollution down there is causing accelerated cancer rates, um, which is something that's just very near and dear to me. So, um, you know, I think that that is... Uh, and that's when I met all the activists down there, the clean water activists, the BMAA activists, and um, <laughs> now, Gary, no, no. Debbie was the best host in the world. Honestly, Debbie um, offered so much. And I was just like, you know what? I'll just eat these noodles. And yes, uh, I did. I, I like Malbec, by the way. Uh, Malbec red wine, fantastic. Um, but uh, Debbie, I will say that while I was at your place, all I did was drink wine and eat noodles. But I will say that after I left, I made an entire feature film uh, and exposed a bunch of aspects and then ran a bunch of water testing on my own. Um, so, you know, it's it's just like that sometimes, you know, it's very difficult when you go to a new area and you try to build a story. You know, you just have to work your way into the correct story. Now, Linda says, are people in California concerned about Fukushima and the fallout? Is there Good truth about the safety of produce from there, the seafood. Okay, Linda, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, people in California should be more concerned. Uh, we should be more concerned. But people aren't. I mean, you know, uh, like myself, personally, I surf. And I go out every morning, you know, as much as I can. And I look at the surf report on Surfline. And, but there's nothing about radiation levels. Um, now, I didn't get um, cancer until I started doing a lot of surfing, too. So, you know, it's another aspect that no one's really tested for here. And we've seen the radar, like we've all seen the radar, you know, um, things of it. And, and we know that it's coming our way. I mean, we share a body of water. How can it not be here? Um, but we do find that seafood itself is something that... Um, is questionable and it's a difficult topic because I don't want to say that it's all contaminated, but um, it's hard. If you're somebody that likes seafood, you just want to make sure that you're sourcing your seafood from safe areas. Uh, you know, a lot of people avoid certain types of seafood out here. So, um, you know, I find in California, people are not conscious of it. For the most part, people out here, and again, maybe the divers are a little different because we are around the ocean all the time. Um, but I think that, you know, out here it's a little different. People are a little bit more focused on, um, you know, the, the, the day to day. It's, it's very much runs like a city and it's a city next to an ocean. So you have your ocean people and you have your city people. <laughs> I'm an ocean person. Um, I'm not a very good, you know, society person. So, uh, Camilla says documentary. Yeah, Molly, I know, Molly, I cannot wait to show it to you. I've had to keep it um, kind of under wraps for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, and then Sally, that's my mom, Sally Bradley. Yeah, it's true. I'm from the East Coast. Um, you know, my grandparents lived in Florida. And so as a kid, I have memories of going and seeing the, the launch happening and and watching and and always seeing nature down there. Um, and I told Debbie this, and uh, I, my only goal has been to see a manatee. And guys, I spent about you know, maybe a month and a half in Florida, and I didn't see, I still haven't seen a manatee. So hopefully when I come back to screen, 
We will do it again. Yes, no manatees in Hollywood right now. <laughs> oh, no, Debbie, I don't live in Hollywood. Hollywood's a different city. It's about a half hour away. Uh, L.A. is very wide, and it's, and it's comprised of multiple cities. So I actually live in Venice, and Venice is, say, here, and Hollywood's over here. Uh, very different places. Uh, no production companies down here. Venice actually recently has been taken over by tech companies. So we have Google, Snapchat, like all these companies, which is kind of an issue. Uh, Debbie, you're right. I am not from Florida. Uh, I'm from Maryland originally, and then I've lived in New York, um, Colorado, and uh, California. And a very brief stint in Seattle with, um, with that. So Debbie, yes. Yes, I am in LA County. Yes. Correct. Uh, yes, and I am not from Florida. And you know what is amazing also is recently there have been a bunch of documentaries getting made in Florida. When I'm done with this uh, podcast, I'm going to go ahead and put down some links down there so you guys can check them out. Um, there's an amazing one that was recently made by Cat Chase um, with the Waterkeepers, and it is incredible. And uh, no, correct, Debbie, I live in Venice, California. It's called Venice Beach, California. Um, it's not Venice, Florida. I'm sorry. I, I, I just want to make sure that's very clear. I live in Venice Beach, California, um, which is a very different place. It's right next to Santa Monica, basically on the other thing. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, I just wanted to uh, to kind of throw that all in. So, um, yeah. So anyway, like I said, Cat Chase made an amazing documentary uh no i am not from colorado i didn't actually really have that great of a time there i know a lot of people love it, it wasn't my kind of place at all um yes no uh debbie i'm i'm maryland i'm from maryland <laughs> i'm a maryland guy uh <coughs> excuse me one area i'm researching is 5g radiation yeah Coralie, i've heard about this 5g radiation and i've been reading some things about that it's pretty amazing um, and I, uh, you know, it seems to still be that they're still getting a lot of information out. So, um, that, that one is very interesting, you know, because you think of radiation. One thing I learned in Florida from everybody was that it's, it's actually around us in a lot of places, a lot more than you'd imagine. And, uh, I think that that is, you know, a major issue. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, you know, unfortunately we couldn't have Richard in to talk today. I was hoping we could talk about the Amazon with somebody that is down there. Uh, at the moment, unfortunately, we weren't able to do that, but it brought up a great topic of how do we balance natural resources and industry? And how do we do this safely? You know, environmentalists should not be on the hit list. Uh, how do we do this? How do we do this where we become the sliding scale of morality, all of us, by how we vote and what we say and what we do. So, you know, um, yeah, it's all of us together and we become one voice. And then once that's there, we will be able to really make a big difference. So I just think that, um, yeah, I just think that it's exciting and it's exciting to have everybody here talking about everything. So thanks again for joining in on, on uh, podcast number five. And don't forget that next week uh, we are going to be doing a uh, giveaway, which I'm very excited about. And next week, we're going to be featuring uh, Africa. We are going to talk to Carrie David, who made a recent documentary 
about women on the front lines of stopping poaching. Beautiful documentary. Um, and then we are also going to have a guest from Wildlife Campus. And it's a couple that run a wildlife campus that train rangers and trains people, train people to go out and do anti-poaching patrols. So it's very exciting. And uh, I just, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to share it with you guys. It's going to be an amazing show. And hopefully we can do some more. And, um, you know, I can't wait to see everybody next week. So remember, everybody, it's our world. Let's talk about it. Thanks. It was good to see you guys. See you next week.